Thank you for the opportunity to be here. I always enjoy my time here at Big Creek. I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Luke's Gospel, the seventh chapter, verses 11 through 17. Luke chapter 7, beginning with the 11th verse. Soon afterwards, he went to a city called Nain, and his disciples were going along with him, accompanied by a large crowd. Now as he, as he approached the gate of the city, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a sizable crowd came from the city, a crowd from the city was with her. When the Lord saw her, he felt compassion for her and said to her, Do not weep. And he came up and touched the coffin, and the bearers came to a halt, and he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. The dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. Fear gripped them all, and they began glorifying God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. This report concerning him went out all over Judea and in all the surrounding district. And may the Lord bless the reading of his word. Uh, each spring, most of them have taken place by now, but each spring we see a, a procession of graduates uh, marching in gymnasiums or out on ball fields or, or the like and they go and they receive their uh, the diplomas uh, uh, a graduation procession it's very common throughout the year for a young lady to dress in white and loop her arm through that of her father and walk down a church aisle in a wedding procession processionals are very commonplace occurrence there's another procession far more commonplace than that of graduation or other festive occasions. And this procession is characterized by a spirit of sorrow. And what I'm talking about is a funeral procession. Since the beginning of time when Adam and Eve mourned the loss of their son Abel, funeral processions have been a common occurrence uh, throughout time. When Jesus and his disciples came to the little village of Nain, located in the highlands of Galilee, they encountered a funeral procession. Now, Nain was not an especially large town, but like many towns throughout uh, Israel, it was a city that was surrounded by a stone wall. The wall was there primarily for protection, for uh, helping from, uh, to keep the enemy out or uh, aiding them in protection. And there were other uses for it as well. 
But outside of the city wall of Nain, as well as outside of most all of the city cities that had walls, were the cemeteries. Nain was no exception. Let me explain to you a little bit about what the funeral procession would have looked like. First of all, you would have had leading the funeral procession professional mourners, paid mourners. These were women who would have been, uh, their hair would have been in disarray, their uh, faces would have been marked with anguish, their voices would have been echoing shrill, high-pitched sounds, their hands flung out in Uh, beside them uh, as if in a grip of spasm. Uh, These women were putting on a show. These were professional mourners. Following the mourners would have been an orator, a a man who would have been assigned the task of pronouncing the good deeds and qualities of the deceased. In this particular case, behind the orator would have been a single person, a woman. This was the mother of the deceased son. Behind her would have been the pallbearers carrying a wicker basket in which was uh, which held the, the corpse, the, the body of the deceased. And then, of course, behind the pallbearers would have been the rest of the people of the village. In that particular time, it would have been an insult for people not to participate in the funeral procession. Everyone in that little town walked behind the corpse as they made their way in that short trek from the home to the cemetery. Even strangers would have been expected to join in in the funeral procession. But Jesus and his disciples did not. Now the scripture tells us that Jesus and his disciples were being followed by a large crowd of people. But Jesus did not join in on the procession. It's a good chance that those uh, people of that village, maybe the orator, perhaps the bereaved mother, Uh, would have been shocked by the fact that Jesus and the disciples did not join in, but he didn't. Instead, Jesus did something very unusual. The scripture tells us that he walked up to the casket and he touched it, which was no doubt a, a shock to all who were part of that procession. The scripture tells us that the procession stopped. He interrupted the funeral. Following this, he said to the dead young man, wake up, come back to life. Perhaps your version of the scripture says, I say to you, arise. Luke, who was a physician and often used physical, uh, excuse me, often used medical terms in his writings, uses one here in reference to what is expected of a person or the reaction when a person is able to sit up in bed. 
And then the most precious statement of all followed. Jesus gave the woman back her son. Now think about that. Jesus gave the woman back her son. He interrupted the funeral. He didn't allow it to proceed any further, and he gave the mother her son back. As we examine these passages of Scripture, there are two thoughts in particular that I want us to focus on this morning. First of all, I want us to look at the scope of the mother's sorrow, the scope of the sorrow. And secondly, the sympathy of the Savior, the sympathy of the Savior. Notice first the scope of the sorrow. This whole incident, as we've already seen, took place outside of the city walls of the little village of Nain. Ironically, the word Nain means a pleasant place. Well, initially, it was certainly not a pleasant place when we first read the Scripture. Uh, there was uh, not a house in that village in which sorrow and grief was not felt. One of their own had lost all she had, a widow who had lost her only son. Nain, on this particular occasion, was not a pleasant place. But think about this woman's sorrow. The Bible says that she was already a widow. That means that she had made that sad trek from her house to the cemetery on a previous occasion. On a previous occasion, this woman had walked in front of a casket in which the body of her husband was onto the cemetery for the purpose of burying him. This woman knew what it was to lose a, a beloved member of her family, her husband. And now, due to illness or accident, we're given no indication as to the reason for the death of her son. She's making this march again to bury her son. The scope of this woman's sorrow is unimaginable. Now, in my short lifetime, I've lived long enough, and perhaps many of you have as well, to know that unless you have experienced something personally, especially in the loss of a loved one, you really cannot relate to what that person is going through. A number of years ago, my youngest brother youngest brother's son, a 19-year-old, Landon, died in a drowning accident. Landon was an outstanding student, an equally outstanding athlete, a wonderful Christian boy, very active in his church. In fact, the reason they were at a lake in which he drowned, they were filming something that was to be used in churches in the area. 
And unfortunately, in his attempt to swim across the lake that day, and it was cold water, he developed cramps and could not be reached in time. I tried to sympathize. I tried to empathize with my brother and my mother, his, that child's grandmother. <clears throat> but friends, no matter how empathetic I attempted to be, I just simply could not relate to what he was going through. So I say that to say to you that unless you've experienced that loss, you really don't know what this particular mother was experiencing. In addition to the sorrow of the woman losing these two cherished members of her family, was the plight that she now faced. This was a woman who was living in a man's world. And here she had lost both her husband and her only son, who was going to provide for her? Who was going to take care of her? The measure of her sorrow was tremendous. There is so much sorrow in this world today. We think of the Ukrainians and what they are experiencing in their country. We think of the horrendous shootings that took place in Texas a few weeks ago. There was another shooting, perhaps did not get nearly the attention that that shooting did, and it was one in Tulsa, Oklahoma, just a, a couple of weeks ago. And the reason it stands out in my mind is it was at a clinic that my daughter and her husband and their son go to for some treatment related to a hip injury. I'm just grateful that they weren't there that day. There's so much sorrow in our world. Individuals who have lost loved ones in death, people facing the uncertainty of surgery or a terminal illness, people unable to get along at home, Parents who don't understand their children, children who don't understand their parents, and people left to face life alone. The scope of sorrow even today can seem unbearable. This was true of this mother who had lost her son. But the second thing that I want you to focus with me on about this morning is the sympathy of the Savior. The Bible says that Jesus had compassion. The New Testament scholar, he is a Scottish scholar, he's one of my favorites, and maybe some of you are familiar with him, William Barclay. I love his style of writing. William Barclay says that the word compassion is the strongest word in the Greek language. Now, how they go about determining strength uh, of words and so forth, I, I don't know. But Barclay says that the word compassion is the strongest word in the Greek language. 
The word compassion is used many times in the New Testament, but friends, listen to this. The word compassion is used only in reference to Jesus Christ. Only Christ is referred to in the New Testament as having compassion. I want to look at a few uh, examples of that word and how it is used in the New Testament. In Matthew chapter 14, verse 14, it says, As he, meaning Jesus, went ashore, he saw a great throng, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Matthew 15, 32 declares, And Jesus called his disciples to him, and he said, I have compassion on the crowd, because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. In Matthew 20, verse 33, it says, And Jesus, with compassion, touched their eyes, and immediately they received their sight. Mark 1, 41, reports how Jesus healed a leper. According to Mark, Jesus was moved with compassion, and he stretched out his hand and touched him. And then one of the more touching verses Matthew 19, 36 says, When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Good folks, when you are going through those moments in your life, when you are needing the Savior, remember he had and has a kind heart. Think about the compassion which he had for the woman that day. His compassion was intense. As we've already seen, compassion is a strong word. The word means to be moved from deep within. We, on the other hand, are a very superficial people, are we not? We talk about loving a piece of pie or loving a flower, or loving a sunset. We talk about an issue that someone is dealing with, and once they are uh, out of sight, then we forget about the issue. We're very superficial people, but not Christ. There was an intensity in Jesus' sympathy and compassion. He was moved from deep within as he saw this woman in her time of sorrow. Our Lord's compassion was also individual. Luke wrote, And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her, and he said to her, Do not weep. Do not cry. His sympathy, his compassion was focused upon this one person, a widow who had lost her only son. Not only was our Lord's compassion intense and individual, but it was also involved. He didn't just shake his head and wipe away a tear and offer in a solemn voice uh, a word of condolences. He took action. And he did something that was out of the ordinary. The Old Testament law prohibited the act of touching a dead body or the the corpse in which, or rather the uh, casket in which a dead body lay. 
It prohibited one from doing that. It, the, the law said that uh, if you do this, you will become unclean for a period of days. And, and yet Jesus went against tradition and he touched the casket. In spite of the fact that the people of Nain, in spite of the fact that the disciples and the crowd that was with him saw what he was doing. When we become involved, we're also taking a risk. That may be why most people choose to turn their backs on the people who are hurting many times. I recently uh, saw something where a young couple was trying an experiment. They were aboard an elevator. And the young man was being abusive, both physically and verbally abusive to the young lady just to see what kind of reaction people would have. And out of over 50 people, only one woman threatened to call 911. People simply don't want to get involved. What is one of the worst abuses taking place in our schools today? It's bullying. And it happens many times because people are afraid to step up and get involved. Now, I don't know for sure here, but if I were a betting man, and I'm not, if I were a betting man, I would bet that the teenage boy who killed those 19 children and and the two adults in Texas... I would bet you that sometime in his life he was bullied. Think about the biblical story of the Good Samaritan. What was wrong with the priest and the Levite who passed by on the other side? Refusing to tend to the man who had been beaten by the thieves. Well, perhaps on the one hand, uh, he thought, or they thought, maybe the thieves are still around and they might hurt us. Or maybe they assumed that the person was dead and they didn't want to go against that law and touch a dead body. But regardless, they passed on the other side. What about the Samaritan? He was willing to take the risk. You cannot help someone if you're not willing to take a risk. Writer Max Lucado, one of my favorite writers, I love his style of writing, wrote this. God gets into things. Red seas, big fish, Lions, dens, and furnaces. Look and you'll find what everyone from Moses to Martha discovered. God is in the middle of our storms. If we would but open our eyes, we'll see that God is in the middle of our life. He's involved. And finally, uh, Jesus' compassion was not only intense, 
and individual and involved, but it was also instructive. Jesus taught those people a very valuable lesson about death that day. He sent the message that death is not the end. Jesus called back life into that young boy, and in so doing, he announced that death is not the end. Isn't it wonderful to know that our Savior is so compassionate? When he sees us in our sorrow and in our grief, he has compassion on us. A mom was trying to teach her little son the song, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. She'd repeated it several times and finally asked the little boy to repeat it to her and he very proudly sang back, Jesus loves me, that's all I know. Aren't you glad that you know that truth, that hope lives? No matter how dismal the future may seem, Jesus loves you. He had compassion on that first century mother, and he has compassion for us today. Jesus won't interrupt the funerals today. Although he may delay them as a result of answered prayers, but he does teach us that he cares, that though we walk through life, we don't have to walk alone. He's by our side every step of the way. And I share this story in closing. A missionary was serving in a small, remote village at a medical hospital in Africa. He had to go periodically into a larger town that was a two-day journey, and he had to spend the night on the road going and coming. He did so in order to get medical supplies and food supplies and other items. <clears throat> he had done this on numerous occasions without any incident whatsoever. But on this particular occasion, as he arrived into the, the town to get the medical supplies, he saw a fight taking place. One of the two men was injured badly, and being a medic and with compassion, he stepped up and tended to the person's cuts and bruises, and he witnessed to him. And then he went on his way. He got his supplies, and he then returned to his village. Several weeks passed, and the man had to go back to that larger town in order to get further supplies. And upon arriving in the town, he was greeted by the young African boy who had been injured that he had tended to, treated. Now, why in the world this young fellow did what he did, I, I don't know. Uh, perhaps it was to ease his conscience or something. But he went up to the young man, uh, to the medic, and he said, I know you carry money and medicine. Some friends and I followed you into the jungle the night you treated me, knowing that you would have to camp. 
We waited for you to go to sleep and planned to rob and kill you. Just as we started moving into the campsite, we saw you were surrounded by 26 armed guards. There were only six of us, and we knew then that we couldn't possibly get near you, so we left. Hearing this, the missionary laughed and said, that's impossible, I was alone that night. The young African pressed his point, saying, no, sir, I was not the only one to see the guards. We all counted them. It was because of those 26 guards that we left you alone. Several months later, the missionary was back in the U.S. speaking in one of his sponsoring churches in Michigan. And he was telling various incidences, and he told of this particular incident And he noted the date and he noted the time that this would have occurred. When all of a sudden a a man in the congregation jumped to his feet, interrupting the missionary. The man said, on that night in Africa, it was morning here. I stopped at the church to gather some things for an out-of-town trip to another church. But as I put my bags into the trunk, I felt the Lord leading me to pray for you. The urging was so great that I called the men of the church together to pray for you. And then the man turned around and said, Will all of those men who met with the Lord that morning to pray please stand? And one by one they did. All 26 men. He is with us in our walk. If you hear nothing else from this message, if you get nothing else from this message, be assured that if your faith and trust is in Jesus Christ, He is by your side. And he will walk with you, not only during the good times, but in the troubling times as well. Our sending hymn this morning is hymn number 275.